Welcome back. This is the In All Wisdom Podcast, a podcast dedicated to wisdom for life. I am Jim Donnelly, your host. Today's podcast is the second in a series, Ecclesiastes Amplified, a collection of wise words, which is the title of my book that will be published this fall, 2023. Introduction. Authorship Matters. For centuries, believers generally agreed that Kohelet, the preacher, was none other than Solomon, David's son, and heir to the throne of Israel. Until the rise of literary and historical criticism during the Enlightenment, the 17th century, theologian David Malik writes, Solomonic authorship of Ecclesiastes was generally accepted. Many commentators today, however, believe the identity of Kohelet to be of no real importance to the book's message. Those who hold this view seem to expect little from the author's introduction in Ecclesiastes 1.1 and want to get on to verse 2. Vanity of vanities. It has even been stated by theologian and professor Tremper Longman that no one has argued that the name Kohelet contributes to the meaning of the book. His trusted observation, which I greatly respect, has helped me ponder whether or not the name Kohelet contributes to the meaning of Ecclesiastes. I am convinced it does. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? The most obvious clue to Kohelet's identity is 1-1, the words of Kohelet, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. This would seem at first glance to indicate Solomon, who reigned after his father David in Jerusalem. Many theologians today, however, believe that the book was penned by an anonymous author, or even by more than one person. Proponents of the modern view are persuasive in their arguments. If the author of Ecclesiastes were Solomon, many ask, why did he not use his own name, as he did when he authored the book of Proverbs? the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. What would he have gained by using a pen name? Or they say that Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived, could never have exclaimed, everything is meaningless, the way Kohelet did. Or they object that if Solomon were truly the author, why would he have bemoaned oppression? See chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. As king, he could simply have fixed the oppression rather than lamenting it. Most compellingly, perhaps, they point out that Scripture never emphatically states that Solomon repented of his apostasy, but that he appears to have died an angry and bitter king under the Lord's chastisement. Another reason many dismiss Solomon as the author of Ecclesiastes is that most of the book's literary style does not match the typical Hebrew language and thought of Solomon's day. Solomon reigned roughly from 971 to 931 B.C. Franz Delisch, a respected 19th century German theologian and Hebraist, wrote convincingly, If the book of a Kohelet were of old Solomonic origin, then there is no history of the Hebrew language. Due to the book's seemingly Aramaic tone and Epicurean ideas, some date the book as much as 700 years after Solomon's time. 
Thus, many deduce that someone who lived many centuries after Solomon, possibly even a non-Jew, wrote Ecclesiastes. This person apparently framed the book with a third-person preface, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and an epilogue, chapter 12, verses 8 through 14, and then assumed a Solomonic persona to write the first-person text that makes up the bulk of the book. The support for Solomonic authorship, however, is compelling. References to Kohelet as the son of David, king in Jerusalem, and king over Israel in Jerusalem, chapter 1, verse 12, are most obvious. There were only two kings over Israel in Jerusalem, David and Solomon. After Solomon, Israel, and Judah split, all succeeding kings were either over Judah and Jerusalem or over Israel in a city other than Jerusalem. If Kohelet was the son of David, he could only have been Solomon. Besides, these plain references, however, numerous facts support the consideration that the assembler of Ecclesiastes is Solomon. While Scripture does not state that Solomon repented, but leaves us in 1 Kings 11 with a picture of an angry king soon to be bereft of his kingdom, neither does it indicate that he didn't. The story simply isn't filled in. Indeed, the book of Ecclesiastes itself is reasonable evidence of Solomon's repentance. We will see this throughout the book, particularly in 1.1. His use of a pen name is not difficult to understand. As a chastened king who was led to resume his role as an under-shepherd of God's people and warned them not to fall into the same trap he had, he would have desired to express the thoughts of his heart, more personal and biographical in nature in Ecclesiastes than in any of his other writings, quietly, humbly, and in an unassuming manner. The emotion behind Kohelet's words lends itself to the personal revelation of a grieving man. His message that all are vanity was not an indication of hopelessness, but rather a testimony against idolatry, a cry mourning its emptiness. Idolatry is a breath, a vapor, a fleeting pleasure that results in nothing but loss. He bemoaned oppression, not because he couldn't do anything about it, but because he recognized now in his repentant state that he himself had created the circumstances that had led to the oppression. Having returned to the Lord, he was grieved over the consequences of his actions, which brought oppression into his kingdom. As to the book's literary style, Dalich and other scholars of his generation We're not privy to works discovered later that increase our understanding of the Hebrew language. In one of the standard introductions to the Old Testament, the assertion is made that the use of the frequent abstract formulations in Uth, On, and On in the book of Ecclesiastes is among the proofs so absolutely convincing and irrefutable of the date, the late date of the work. That, as Dalish exclaims, if the book of Kohelet be old as Solomon, then there can be no history of the Hebrew language. 
Dalich was one of the greatest Hebrew scholars of his generations. And 50 years ago, his testimony on a matter concerning the history of the Hebrew language was as good as possible. But a history of the Hebrew language was in his time not possible. Gesenius, Ewald, Dalich, Kyle, and all those brilliant scholars of the 19th century are as much behind the times today as expert witnesses to the history of the Hebrew language as Professor Langley would be in aeronautics, or a surgeon of the Civil War in comparison with a professor in Johns Hopkins. For since Dalich wrote the above, the Tel El Armana letters, the works of Hammurabi, the Hebrew of Ecclesiasticus, of the Zadokite fragments, and of the Samaria of Straka, the Sanchiri inscriptions, the Aramaic papyri and endorsements, and thousands of Egyptian, Babylonian, Assyrian, Phoenician, Aramaic, Palmyrene, Nabatian, Hebrew, and other documents throwing light on the Old Testament and its language have been discovered. These documents prove that the old-time alleged histories of the Hebrew language were largely subjective and fallacious, and that the presence of words with endings of uth, on, and on is no indication of the age in which the document was written. Furthermore, the unique language of Ecclesiastes is not certain proof that the book is of later historic period. As one commentator writes, the Hebrew of Ecclesiastes is quite unusual and sometimes almost obscure. These peculiarities have led many scholars to believe Ecclesiastes was composed late in Old Testament history. But the Hebrew of Ecclesiastes is not characteristically late or early. It is simply unusual. The language of Ecclesiastes does have much in common with the language of Song of Songs. Several allegedly late Hebrew words in Ecclesiastes also appear in the song. For this reason, many scholars regard Song of Songs as a late book as well. But it is quite possible that they have so much in common because they come from the same hand, Solomon's. The literary style of Ecclesiastes is not necessarily that of a particular era, it is Solomon's own, drawn from the literature that had surrounded him all his life, as well as his own great wisdom. Solomon was a wordsmith who had spoken 3,000 proverbs and written more than 1,000 songs. See 1 Kings 4.32. He was a careful arranger of words, looking to the Lord for guidance. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16.1. His style, occasionally borrowing from the Aramaic, is unique, just as he himself was unique. Finally, the use of third person in the introduction and conclusion of Ecclesiastes does not negate the possibility of one author writing the book. Thomas Kruger writes, in the framing of a teaching in the third person, one may also compare not only Deuteronomy, and especially the narrative framework of Job, but also the preface of the Greek book of Sirach, 
Daniel 1 to 6 as introduction to Daniel 7 and 12, and the introduction to Daniel 7 and 8 and 9 verses and chapter 10 through 12. And 1 Enoch 1, 12 and 13 as information about the author in the third person at or toward the end of the book, Kohelet 12, 9, chapter 12, verse 9, corresponds above all to Sirach, chapter 50, 27 through 29. I conclude, Kohelet wrote Ecclesiastes with specific purpose. His book contains powerful insight that we as God's people need today. We have come to the end of today's In All Wisdom podcast, a podcast dedicated to wisdom for life. Thank you for listening. Please join me for another interesting episode about wisdom in life. I podcast, I podcast daily. Follow this link to my website, in-all-wisdom.com.